Thanks very much, Chris. Good morning, brothers and sisters. It was wonderful to see you all this morning. Good morning, everybody at home. I trust you all had a very good week. A big congratulations to Brad and Cass, who got married yesterday. Give them a round of applause. I mean, all I did was get married, but I mean, that was really cool. It was really nice to actually see the wonderful testimony of them committing them li- their lives to each other. And it was a great opportunity. Thank you very much for allowing us to be a part of that. I was driving my nieces home the other day. So my nieces, had Latina and, and Nola, who you know. And I was listening to just some, like a, like a YouTube playlist. I was just listening to some music along the way. And I usually put a kid's playlist on. Now, isn't it funny that when you hear something you haven't heard in a long time, and it just, all of a sudden, everything floods back in connection to that. So I heard this Maori song on this Google playlist. And it was very familiar to me. And then all of those, I actually remembered all the lyrics and I was like, wow, and I actually started singing the lyrics. And I was like, why, why do I know this? I was thinking, I'm, I'm not married, I'm Samoan. So I was thinking, why do I know this song? It was very, very familiar. And it was very, very God-glorifying because I remembered the English translation as well. And it just means, uh, oh my God, listen to the cry of your children. Oh my God, look down upon us, your children. Here we are. Also, I even remembered the actions. Here we are all together and we worship and we say that we love you. My God, my Redeemer, the Father and the Son and the comfort of the Holy Ghost. And I was like, wow, I wasn't doing it when I was driving, obviously. But I remembered all of the actions. And I thought, wow. And and then I remembered. So when I became a Christian, we would often go to and the Son, but also the Holy Spirit. By your Spirit, we can cry out to you and call you Abba, Father. We ask now, Lord, that by your Spirit, you will help us to lay aside all things that distract us, all things that consume our minds that are not of you, and help us to focus upon you and you alone. Please guide us now as we look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So much like last week as we looked at the Lord Jesus Christ as head of the church, this morning's core value is looking at the Holy Spirit, the power of the church. Now, when I say the power of the church, I want us to elaborate something because a lot of people have this misconception of what power means. If you're powerful, it means that you get to do what you want, when you want, how you want, which is not actually what we're looking at here. The Holy Spirit, as the power of the church, has granted us the privilege and the capacity as well as the ability to live the newness of life that has been granted to us in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit has equipped us and is equipping us. He has sanctified us. He has sealed us. He has separated us for us to be able to live in the freedom and in the victory that Christ purchased for us on the cross. And how Christ was resurrected from the dead to be able to live in that victory. So today we're going to look at three things that this core value actually refers to. We're going to look at who he is, what he does, and what he means or what that means for us today and so I went through another list 
I went through another list, nowhere near as long as last week's list when we looked at the names of Jesus, the 101 names of Jesus that we looked at within the scriptures. Today is only 35 when we're looking at the person of the, person of the Holy Spirit. And you have him referred to in so many ways. For example, we read that he is the Spirit of glory, 1 Peter 4.14, that he is the Lord in 1 Thessalonians 3.5. He is the spirit of revelation. He is the spirit of the Son. He is the spirit of God. That he is the eternal spirit, which is Hebrews 9.14. He is the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of knowledge, the spirit of the fear of the Lord, according to Isaiah 11.2. He is the title rather than a specific name. We can sometimes fall into this basic trap of overlooking a couple of the most basic truths regarding God, the Holy Spirit. That we can sometimes refer to him as something rather than someone. We can overlook that whole purpose, which is the aspect of why who he is is so important. When you read this book by D.L. Moody, who's one of my favorite authors, called Secret power. He actually makes this specific distinction that God, the Holy Spirit, is not a force, an impersonal force. He is not an unknowable thing. He is a person who can be known personally, and personally involves himself with each of you. He is a person who grieves, according to Ephesians 4.30. You know what it feels like to grieve, to feel sadness. An impersonal force does not feel sadness. Because he is a person, he feels and he grieves. He is one whose prompts can be resisted, according to Acts 7.51. And whose very stirrings can be quenched, according to 1 Thessalonians 5.19. As as a person, the spirit is referred to numerous times with the personal pronouns he, him, or his. The Lord Jesus made the following statements in relation to him in John chapter 14, verse 16. In NIV it says this, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Now, John Piper observes the following regarding these words, another advocate. He says this word, another, carries with it the thought or the idea, another one like me. Another one like me. Now, I want you to sort of take that and think on it a little bit. When you look at how the Lord Jesus interacted with people, he interacted with them personally. He invested into the disciples' lives. He had young children approach him. He was able to demonstrate his power by performing the miraculous. We looked at all of this last week. And when he says that another advocate will come, another one like me means that there's another comforter, another advocate who, like him, like the Lord Jesus, interacts personally, who empowers, who involves, who comforts who encourages, meaning this personal interaction as Jesus. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we read this. 
When, but, when, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The empowering of the Spirit according to this verse is that of active empowerment for ministry. It is not having power for power's sake. It is not having power to stand above others. It is being empowered for something specific. It's an empowering that we could be empowered. Sorry, it's an empowering so that we can be an, an effective and beneficial witness for the glory of God to the kingdom of God. That's what it's for. You want to experience power then that power is experienced as you live for him, representing him, witnessing for him. You want to know and discover how the promises of God are real? Then you step out by faith, trusting in him and allowing him to work through you for each of those instances that you do for the glory of God. You could be a witness in your own home to your kids. You could be a witness in your own neighborhood to your neighbors. You could be a witness within this very church to the brothers and sisters that are around you. But that is when power is experienced. Not when it's for yourself, but when it's for the Lord Jesus Christ. For example, when you look in the scriptures, you look at, say, Samson. Samson that had the spirit of God come upon him so that he was able to defeat a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. You look at, say, Ezekiel, that he might prophesy for the glory of God as he spoke his message to the children of Israel in Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 5. You look at how the spirit of God conceived within the Mary of womb, the, the Lord Jesus in Luke chapter 2. You read about how the Spirit of God rested upon the Lord Jesus at his baptism in Matthew chapter 3. Every instance of the Spirit coming upon people was for the purpose of empowerment for ministry, for serving. It was a setting aside, a setting apart for service, and it was an anointing of grace upon each of them. Now, in this current church age, because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross, the Spirit would no longer come upon people conditionally as he did in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament. Because that coming upon them, like for example for Samson or even for Moses, for David, the Spirit of God would come upon them to perform a task. When the task was performed, then the Spirit would leave. Now, because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done, it is no longer based upon our obedience. Rather, the Spirit rests upon us, not only rests upon us, dwells within us. This is where it's done because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done on the cross. That through trust in him for the salvation of sin, that we are born again by his Spirit. Our heart is renewed, as it talks about in John chapter 3. We read about the indwelling of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. We now discover that according to Ephesians 4.30, that we are sealed by the Spirit. We are renewed by the Spirit in Titus chapter 3, verse 5. And we are convicted by the Spirit in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. See, the Spirit empowers us to serve, but this is what I really 
I feel so humbled by. You know one of my favorite Bible verses, which I've quoted here so many times from the front, but because it's the reality of what the Spirit is doing in each of our lives. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, which you should all know by now, with the amount of times that I've quoted it from the front, you should all know it. Being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will continue, or will perform until the day of Jesus Christ. That is the Spirit's working in each of your hearts, in each of your lives. That you are not left to your own devices, that the Spirit of God is working in you even now. Changing you, shaping you, and he'll bring that work that he began in you to completion. Which means this, that right now, in the context that you're facing, in the context that you're encountering, whatever that might be in life, God, the Holy Spirit, is working in you, changing your viewpoint in life, changing your mindset, changing your desires, changing your hearts. But it means then that you and I must yield ourselves to what he teaches us through the word of God. That we must be obedient by his spirit to what the word of God tells us so that changing can not only be more effective but be long lasting. We read about what the Spirit does in Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 through to 24 when we look at the fruit of the Spirit. And that each aspect of this fruit is manifest in our conduct and in our action because it is manifest in the way Jesus conducted himself and acted. We read about how ultimate, how our ultimate goal through the Spirit is to reach the position of being conformed to the image of Christ, according to Romans chapter 8, verses 29 to 30. Like I said, we know that God works in us to will and to do of his good pleasure, uh, Philippians 2.13. And there are so many other charges and exhortations and mandates put forward to us to adhere to. But each of those mandates, each of those charges, each of those exhortations can only be accomplished through the power of the Spirit. We can try, but we'll always fail. We can put in a good effort, but we'll always fail. It's, it's, in our, it's in our surrendering that we experience victory. It's in our death and in our denial of self that we experience the fullness of life. It's amazing how in the economy of God, he goes completely contrary to how we think success is achieved. And that it's not by human wisdom and thinking that we know, but rather in his divine wisdom and how he ministers to each of us. So then, if he is a person who is empowering us for service and is shaping our character or developing our character, what then does that mean for you and I? What then does that mean in how we approach our Christian lives? Um, turn to John chapter 16 very quickly. Okay? Because it's in this passage, I'm going to read probably from chapter 15, verse 26. Okay? But it is in this passage you see these aspects of, of the Holy Spirit's empowering and in the Holy Spirit's developing in this passage, now to provide a bit of context, I mean, 
Jesus has brought the disciples to his upper room where he's been investing into their lives and, and ministering to their hearts. In John 13, Jesus washes the disciples' feet to give them an example to follow. Um, that's in chapter 13, verse 15. He calls out his betrayer in verses 26 to 27. Um, he predicts Peter's denial. In John 14, Jesus confronts them, uh, comforts them under such news. I really like those verses in verses 1 to 3 of chapter 14, and he promises the Holy Spirit. In John 15, while walking to Gethsemane, I, I, I was thinking this, Pastor John has, has been to Israel, and so I, I, I'm looking forward to going there someday, but I remember hearing the illustration of how in chapter 15, he would have got up from his table and taken them for a bit of a walk, and, and on the way to Gethsemane, he would have passed a vineyard and then used the, the grapes and the vines that are there that he might have come across as an object lesson to speak about him being the true vine and his father being the husbandman and, and speaking how being connected to the vine and abiding in the vine and that without him you can do nothing in, in John fifteen five. So many lessons and so much truth, so great the investment the Lord Jesus imparts, done so as we look at this reading here, in preparation for this. In chapter 15, I'm going to read quite a bit, so please follow along in your Bibles. 15 verse 26, we read this. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you must also testify. For you have been with me from the beginning. Verse 1 of chapter 16. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me where you're going. Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said such things. I have said these things. The Lord Jesus is preparing them for what's to come. For anyone to think that living a life of comfort or living a life of ease is what accompanies being a follower of Jesus, I would think you would do well to reconsider that perception. You see, the world in its current state is at odds with a holy God. If you look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, what do we read? For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And so Jesus plainly explains that his teaching of abiding in him, of looking for his future return, of serving others in humility for the glory and kingdom of God, will result, will result, not might result, not could result, but will result in them being persecuted, in them experiencing hardship, of them experiencing difficulty. This is why following Jesus is more than just a choice. It is more than just a decision. It is more than just a mental assent. It is about you and I seriously considering the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. It's, like, it's much like he talks about in Luke chapter 14, that if you're going to build a tower, you need to count the cost. Do you have enough to build a tower? It's like if you're going to go to war. Do you have enough to battle the war or do you have to negotiate a treaty? 
so too the cost of discipleship, the cost of following Jesus Christ. You need to count the cost. Is this something you want to go all in on or something that you just want to play at? The reality is this. If you're going to play at it, you're not going to last. If you're just going to go through the motions, you're not going to last. If you're going to try and follow Jesus on your terms, you're not going to last. You can't follow Jesus the far off and think everything's going to go your way. That's the misconception. We are told, which the, one of the most common verses in 2 Timothy 3.12, that those who want to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But the way we live this life in following Jesus, we then read of the work of the Holy Spirit from verse 7. He says, truly I tell you it is for your good I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate or the comforter or the helper, or the friend, he will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now look at, what his, look at his ministry. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. I want to stop there for a second. The goodness of God is such that he wants to open our eyes to see and behold so much. He wants to reveal to you what he is doing in your life and in the lives of those around you. He wants to invite you to be a part of his work in the community or in the family or in the workplace, wherever it might be. He wants to show you what he is able to do through you. He reveals this to his disciples and he says, this is what's going to happen. This is what you're going to go through. This is the challenge that you faced. Jono did a great sermon on why Jesus had to leave and why it's better than he left so the Holy Spirit could come. I, I, I didn't write down the date. I apologize, Jono. But it's a great sermon because it emphasizes this, that Christ had to go so we could receive the benefit of who? The Holy Spirit. God himself dwelling in each of us, enabling us to live in victory. That's what makes it so exciting. And so he, he says all of this, this is everything that I'm doing. And it does sound really scary. It's almost like this is the, but then he goes on to this empowerment for ministry. And then he goes into this development of character. In verse 13, we read this. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, what will he do? He will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that you will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will receive from me what he will make known you what does knowing that God the Holy Spirit who is personal that is who is God who empowers us for service 
and who develops our character, what does it mean for us? It means this, that the Lord Jesus has given to us the greatest of blessings through whom we can experience the abundance of all that he has promised. That we can experience the power of all that he has to offer. That we can experience the vision of the plan that he wants to achieve. And that he wants to do so through each of us. That's what it means for us. It means for us that we can be parents that glorify God by leading our children to Christ. Or even showing our children what grace really is. Showing our children what godly love really is, what forgiveness really is, what unconditional acceptance really is. That we can demonstrate as husbands and wives a a grace that beggars the imagination. A grace where a wife will always feel safe. And a wife will always be protected. Where a husband will always be respected. And where a husband will always be honored. That in a workplace, that you have a testimony that people, even though they don't agree with you, will recognize the reality of Jesus Christ in the way you represent yourself. Because they see the Spirit of God expressed in how you live. That is the greatest of blessings. You and I as the children of God have God himself dwelling within us as his Holy Spirit. And yet we live in manners and in ways of defeat or of boredom or of disconnectedness. If we can but grasp who dwells within If we can but catch a glimpse of the greatness of that privilege, then allow him to change us and us to act on that change. I think that would make a big impact, not only in our lives, but in the lives of those that we encounter. So I encourage you, brothers and sisters, as we work our way through our core values, don't just look at words. Because when you look at the, the core values, I just want to—I noticed this as I was looking at it. We have displayed in these core values, core values that focus on our relationship with God. We have core values that focus on our relationship with each other. We have core values that focus on our service within the body of Christ. We have core values that focus on our unity as a family. And we have core values, all of them, that are grounded within the word of God to direct us to him. They're there to remind us and to comfort us. To remind us of the greatness of Jesus Christ and the privilege enchanted and enabled or imparted to us. And to, as signposts to direct us, to stir us, and to challenge us when we think we know better. So, with that, I would like to ask the music team to come back up again. I only told Chris, I apologize, Danny and Kenny. I really got to start letting you know beforehand, eh? I apologize for that, but we're going to stand and sing one more song. Um, while they're coming up, let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much 
for the privilege that has been bestowed upon us that we as 